Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Gawker Media has made a business of predatory journalism. This time, it went too far. Welcome to Episode 8 of The Great Fail, a podcast that examines the greatest success stories and their spectacular fails. What led to the demise of the most prolific people, brands, and companies. I am your host, Deborah Chen, and this week we'll be looking at Gawker. It all started with an email from someone who seemed like a fan, someone who had admired the work of Gawker's editor, AJ Delario. They corresponded back and forth for a few days before AJ had filed it away and would have never thought of this interaction again except that several days later, a nondescript padded manila envelope arrived for him at the Gawker offices in New York City. He happened to be on vacation, so the package sat there for a few more days awaiting his return. When he got back, he opened it to find a DVD. No note, no explanation. As he played... He was shocked, bewildered at what he was seeing and in disbelief of what had fallen onto his lap. Welcome to the story of Gawker. Entered into the ring in 2003, leg dropped by the Hulkster in 2016. The demise of Gawker is one of the most complex yet fascinating case studies that I've come across, primarily because it forces you to reckon with the notion of what media really is. What does defense of privacy in the digital age mean? How does it relate to our rights granted by the First Amendment? And then when put to the test, which one holds more weight? What are the factors that prevail when limits are tested? For me, confronting all of this was jarring because going into the story, I had my own assessments and assumptions, all of which were tested after speaking off the record with people closer to the matter. Journalists, lawyers, even ex-employees of Gawker, all who wanted to remain anonymous because this was such a high-profile case. Regardless, as conflicted as many of these viewpoints were, it was only natural for my own to follow suit. While many news outlets today are struggling with dwindling readership and constantly fighting to stay afloat, Gawker, at its peak, didn't have to worry about either. The site's salacious reporting was a blockbuster success. 
When it wasn't breaking news in celebrity exposés, it was breaking its viewership records, seeing over 62 million unique visitors on its site each month. For over 13 years, it was one of the most popular sources for the latest on gossip, news, and entertainment. But by 2016, Gawker found itself posting its own obituary. It was 2012, a time filled with some other defining moments that captured the unique mood for that year. The New York Knicks point guard Jeremy Lin and his remarkable ascent known as Lin Sanity took over the NBA. Gangnam Style became the most viewed YouTube video ever with over a billion views and became a worldwide phenomenon. And the Summer Olympics took place in London with the United States winning more medals than any other nation. The music world was devastated by the loss of Whitney Houston, a cultural icon who drowned in a bathtub from an overdose. At the same time, Encyclopedia Britannica announced the death of its printed versions. We saw the birth of the mommy porn revolution with the completed trilogy of Fifty Shades of Grey series, which became one of the fastest selling books in history for publisher Random House. But even amidst all of that, October 4th muscled its way into the mix when Gawker released the sex tape of Terry Bollea, better known as Hulk Hogan, having intercourse with his best friend's wife. The post was written by one of the most influential figures in media at the time, A.J. Delario. The title of the post? Quote, Even for a minute, watching Hulk Hogan having sex in a canopy bed is not safe for work, but watch it anyway. End quote. Containing a 101-second video clip, with nine seconds of intimate footage, it was the latest in a string of celebrity sex videos first made popular by Kim Kardashian and then followed by a long list of others. Here are excerpts of Delario's commentary, which perfectly captured the sardonic snarky wit that Gawker was so well known for. Because the internet has made it easier for all of us to be shameless voyeurs and deviants, we love to watch famous people have sex. We come away satisfied that when famous people have sex, it's closer to the sex we as civilians have from time to time. Up top, you'll see footage taken of 59-year-old Hulk Hogan, professional wrestler, real-life American hero to many, f***ing a woman rumored to be the ex-wife of his best friend, a famous radio DJ named Bubba the Love Sponge. This footage was stealthily circulated last April. TMZ reported its existence. The Dirty showed some screenshots and Hulk lawyered up because he claims he was secretly filmed. Last week, a burned DVD copy of Hulk having sex with this woman, rumored to be Heather Clem, Bubba's ex-wife, was delivered to us through an anonymous source. They wanted no payment. They wanted no credit. The post was viewed by over 7 million people. Within days of the article, Hogan's attorneys demanded that Gawker take down the video. Gawker refused, and a suit was filed that same month. To understand why Gawker refused, you'd have to truly understand who Gawker was and how they originated. Gawker burst onto the scene in 2003 when digital media sites like the Huffington Post and TMZ were just beginning to boom. Nick Denton, a former journalist for UK's Financial Times, wanted to do something vastly different from the stuffy feeling experience at the establishment publication. 
tired of the uppity and highly regulated media regimes that many journalists were forced to adhere to, he wanted to write about the scandals that journalists gossiped about but couldn't write either because they didn't want to burn a source or perhaps the matter was off limits because of who they were about. And so birthed Gawker.com, an online media company and blog network, where Nick built a team of scrappy outsiders that were willing to test limits and take jabs at the big media establishments. The landscape was ripe for a company like Gawker. They emerged as the underdog, but found their niche with stories that were unconventional for journalism, many of which made readers uncomfortable. But that's also what made them thrive. They were able to speak and say things that most others wouldn't dare to. Some of the stories Gawker broke were true pieces of investigative journalism, but then there were all the rest. A motley assortment of stories that veered closer to outright sensationalism, more in line with a tabloid like the National Enquirer. But one thing that they did have consistently was lots and lots of traffic. Many other outlets were criticizing Gawker for their clickbait title approach, which essentially served as a provocative and outrageous headline meant to lure in its readers. It's a risky formula for attracting readers, but it paid off, literally. Advertising dollars poured in, making Gawker's maverick approach to business extremely lucrative. In 2015, Gawker reported that it earned $20 million in revenue in 2010 and a whopping $45 million in revenue by 2014. This is how Nick built Gawker into a multi-million dollar empire. From the time it launched in 2003, everyone was hooked on Gawker and advertisers all wanted a piece. Gawker pushed editorial boundaries beyond the refined tone of traditional mainstream journalism and had found its voice for how news was being reported on its blogs. Nick had proclaimed Gawker's mission to be the exploitation of secret arrangements and self-dealings beyond the scenes of very powerful people. He wanted to expose the hypocrisies of the rich, powerful, elite, and entitled. The site was based mostly on entertainment industry gossip, with a dash of investigative reporting thrown in. One of the site's best-known stories involved a video of the late mayor of Toronto, Rob Ford, smoking crack cocaine, while other pieces actually had a positive impact at the world at large, like the one where it exposed the underground online drug marketplace Silk Road, which was later shut down by authorities. But then there were the more consistent items that were catered to the young and metropolitan, groups with an appetite for more risque material. There was a 2007 story about Silicon Valley billionaire Peter Thiel, best known as a co-founder of PayPal and an early investor of Facebook, titled, Come on, Peter is totally gay, guys which was already an open secret, but something that nobody in the VC world would speak about. Or the one in January 2014, when Quentin Tarantino filed a copyright lawsuit against Gawker for distributing his 146-page manuscript called The Hateful Eight online. In his words, he said, Gawker Media has made a business of predatory journalism, violating people's rights to make a buck. This time, they went too far. Tarantino said in a lawsuit, 
adding that he would no longer continue with the movie since Gawker had already posted the entire screenplay online illegally. And who could forget July 2015 when one of Gawker's staff writers posted an article on a well-respected and famously private Condé Nast executive who allegedly solicited a gay porn star over a text correspondence. This executive was married with children and happened to also be the brother of former Treasury Secretary Tim Geidner. The article sparked outrage and received major backlash both internally and from outside Gawker, citing that outing someone for the sake of outing them didn't seem to have any journalistic integrity. The post was ultimately taken down. Stories like these made it apparent that the internal culture had become more like mean writers running a bullying campaign only concerned with humiliating the rich and powerful rather than holding them accountable and speaking truth to power as they had originally intended. This made Gawker tremendously popular, but also began to erode the support of those who wanted to defend the site's right to exist. From the top of their throne, the Gawker team probably didn't think they need protecting, But the writing was already on the wall and consequences would soon follow. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. After Gawker posted the Hulk Hogan article, the site received millions of hits with most of the press going bonkers. The next morning, Terry Bollea's attorney sent a takedown notice to Gawker demanding that they remove the video. Gawker refused, with Nick citing the First Amendment and arguing that the footage was newsworthy, since Hulk Hogan was once a subject of a reality TV show and had talked in great lengths about his sexual escapades in public. Hulk Hogan's camp pressed on, though. And soon enough, his lawyer reached out to Charles Harder, one of the top Hollywood entertainment attorneys in town, who, by the way, was later hired by Melania Trump to take on the Daily Mail after they reported rumors on her working as an escort in the 1990s. With Charles in their camp, they now had assembled a dream team of litigators and filed a suit against Gawker, seeking damages of $100 million for a handful of claims, which include invasion of privacy, intentional infliction of emotional distress, and a violation of the Florida Security and Communications Act. The three-week trial was a grim and graphic examination on the business of celebrity gossip, 
followed by hours and hours of deliberation over what was newsworthy and whether that superseded a celebrity's right to privacy or whether celebrity in and of itself waived traditional privacy protections. When the final verdict came down, though, it was an absolute bloodbath. On March 18th, the jury awarded Hulk Hogan $115 million in compensatory damages and three days later, an additional $25 million in punitive damages, including $10 million from Nick personally. The total of $140 million was one of the largest verdicts ever issued against a media company. After Nick was forced to reveal that his business simply did not generate that much money, as if that wasn't humiliating enough, he was chastised in court for inflating the value of his equity stake in Gawker, which at one time Nick touted to be $81 million, but it was actually closer to $30 million. Gawker was forced to file bankruptcy as it put up all of its assets up for auction with the proceeds used to pay for part of Hogan's judgment. But there would be one final twist of the knife, which would prove to Gawker that payback was a wicked mistress. But ironically, it came in the form of another article. In May 2016, two months after the judge's ruling, Peter Thiel confirmed in an interview with the New York Times that he had bankrolled $10 million in legal fees to help finance the lawsuit brought on by Hulk Hogan. This was the same Peter who was, if you recall, outed in a 2007 article that Gawker published on his sexual orientation. Some speculated that he was likely enraged by the invasion of his privacy and that he had secretly been seeking vengeance to take Gawker down. In an interview, he referred to his financial support of the Bolea versus Gawker case as, quote, one of my greater philanthropic things that I've ever done. End quote. It turned out after years of patiently waiting for revenge, Peter had finally found the perfect moment to pull the rug from under his hated nemesis. What had once made Gawker so unique and beloved by its readers with its no-hold-bar approach to journalism had instead become its greatest downfall. The death of Gawker left a complicated legacy it certainly reverberated throughout the world of journalism and caused a chilling effect on the press's freedom. On the other hand, it was impossible to deny that Gawker's mission hadn't been to just hold the rich and powerful to account. It had been to also humiliate, point, and laugh. If nothing else, the lesson learned here may be that publishing stolen sex tapes is a bad idea. Perhaps this was also a sign that the definition of newsworthy needed to be reined in a bit, forcing outlets to have a reason for what they publish beyond laughing at famous people. But others have disagreed, arguing that Gawker was the real victim, and whether the sex tape, which was already, in essence, public knowledge based on Hulk Hogan's bragging rights, was it deserving of a $140 million death penalty? Meaning, did the punishment truly fit the crime? Yes, Gawker had a history of publishing mean-spirited articles, and they would be the first to admit that. But was that 
a crime. The egos behind the empire certainly didn't think so, and they genuinely thought they were invincible. But if it would not have been for the financial involvement of tech billionaire Peter Thiel and the bad blood between him and Gawker, would it still have been eviscerated so utterly? At a time when the writing and posting of factual information seems always protected by the First Amendment, we have to confront the role of financial power in our legal system. Right or wrong, it feels like money has a tendency to trump all else. So be careful of the enemies you make in business. The death of Gawker may have been the result of years of pouring gasoline over personal lives of the rich and famous. And as the heat got intensified, some would say it was Peter Thiel that lit the match over Gawker. The very same man who had once said, One of the striking things is that if you're middle class, if you're upper middle class, or if you're a single-digit millionaire like Hulk Hogan, you have no effective access to the legal system. After nearly 14 years of operations, Nick Denton, founder of Gawker, wrote his last post on August 22, 2016, titled, How Things Work. He wrote about the demise of Gawker, attributing it to standing by the truth and the refusal to play nice with its subjects, the very goal of what Gawker was sought out to do from the start. He referenced a comment from a colleague which eloquently addresses his rival, calling it one of the most beautiful checkmates of all time by Peter Thiel. He goes on to say that this is what happens when you conduct an experiment in letting journalists say what they really think. But that was what happened when you make a business out of freedom. You will be met with adversity because freedom is illusory. The system is still there. It pushed back this time. The power structure remains and monopoly profits. He concluded this 4,169-word essay with the following. And so Gawker's demise turns out to be the ultimate Gawker story. It shows how things work. Thanks for listening to The Great Fail, a program that spotlights some of the most infamous case studies and failed businesses, brands, and ideas, and goes beyond that to garner lessons and wisdom so that we can all learn from the greatest mistakes. Join us next time for a brand new episode and be sure to visit thegreatfail.com to access show notes and discover our fantastic bonus content. If you have a question about your business or have an idea or startup and need expert advice, please send your questions to advice at thegreatfail.com and you may be featured on an upcoming episode with our network of expert advisors to help you get the answers you're looking for. And remember, with great failure comes great liability. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.